0: General Preface and Preface to Volume One of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume One. General Preface and Preface to Volume One. General Preface. The present work is intended as a comprehensive account of medieval times, drawn up on the same lines as the Cambridge modern history, but with a few improvements of detail suggested by experience. It is intended partly for the general reader, as a clear and, as far as possible, interesting narrative, partly for the student, as a summary of ascertained facts, with indications, not discussions, of disputed points, partly as a book of reference containing all that can reasonably be required in a comprehensive book of general history a full bibliography is added to every chapter and a portfolio of illustrative maps is published to accompany each volume there is nothing in the english language resembling the present work germany indeed has hecrin and umken but in france even the great work of Laville and rambaud deals with the Middle Ages on a much smaller scale than is here contemplated. The present volumes are intended to cover the entire field of European medieval history, so that in every chapter a specialist sums up recent research upon the subject. America, France, Germany, Austria, Bulgaria, Hungary, Italy, Spain, and Russia are represented in the list of contributors. The principles on which the work is constructed were laid down by the late Lord Acton for the Cambridge Modern History. Professor Burry, Lord Acton's successor as Regius professor of modern history, was invited by the syndics of the press to plan the history as a whole, and to draw up the scheme of each volume. The first editors appointed were the Rev. H. M. Gwatkin, M. A., Dixie Professor of Ecclesiastical History, Miss Mary Bateson and Mr. G.T. Lapsey, M.A. Fellow of Trinity College. On Miss Bateson's death, the Rev. J.P. Whitney, B.D. of King's College, was appointed in her stead, but on Mr. Lapsey's retirement through ill-health, happily only temporary, his place was not filled up. The present editors are, therefore, Professor Gwatkin and Mr. Whitney, They wish to place on record their grateful thanks for the helpful advice which Professor Burry has always been ready to give them when requested. But it should be understood that the editors are alone responsible for the matter contained in each volume, for the selection of the writers of the various chapters, and for the general treatment of the subjects discussed. It is hoped to publish two volumes yearly in regular succession. September 1911 Preface to Volume 1. The present volume covers a space of about 200 years, beginning with Constantine and stopping a little short of Justinian. At its opening, the Roman Empire is standing in its ancient majesty, drawing new strength from the reforms of Diocletian and the statesmanship of Constantine. At its close, the empire has vanished from the west, while the east is slowly recovering from the pressure of the barbarians in the 5th century and gathering strength for Justinian's wars of conquest. At its opening, heathenism is still a mighty power. Society is built up on heathen pride of class, and Rome still seems the center of the world. At its ending, we see Christianity supreme, Constantinople the seat of power and the old heathen order of society in the West, dissolving in the confusion of barbarian devastations. At its opening, Caesar's will is law from the Atlantic to Armenia. At its ending, a great system of Teutonic and Aryan kingdoms in the West has just been grievously shaken by the conversion of the Franks from heathenism direct to orthodoxy. In our first chapter, we trace the rise of Constantine, his reunion of the empire, his conversion to Christianity, the political side of the Nicene Council, and the foundation of Constantinople. Then follows Dr. Reed's account of the reforms of Diocletian and Constantine, which fixed for centuries the general outline of the administration. After this, Mr. Norman Baines takes up the struggle with Persia under Constantius and Julian, and continues in a later chapter the story of the wars of Rome in East and West, in the times of Valentinian and Theodosius. The victory of Christianity is treated by Principal Lindsay, and he describes also the rival systems of Neoplatonism and Mithrasism, and gives an account of Julian's reaction and the last struggles of heathenism. The next chapter is devoted to Arianism. First, the doctrine is described in itself and in some of its relations to modern thought. Then the religious side of the Nicene Council is given, and the complicated history of the reaction is traced down to the decisive overthrow of Arianism and the empire of Theodosius. After this, Mr. C. H. Turner describes the organization of the church, clergy, creeds, and worship, looking back to the beginning, but chiefly concerned with its development in the age of the great councils. We now pass to the Teutons. Dr. Martin Bang begins in prehistoric times, describing their migrations and their conquests westward and southward, till the legions brought them to a stand on the Rhine and the Danube, and their long struggle of four centuries to break through the Roman frontier, before the Battle of Hadrianople settled them inside the Danube. Then Dr. Mantius carries down the story through the administrations of Theodosius and Stilicho to the Great Collapse, the passing of the Rhine, the overrunning of Gaul and Spain, the Roman mutiny of Pavia, and the sack of Rome by Alaric, After this, the great Teutonic peoples have to be dealt with severally. Dr. Ludwig Schmidt begins with the settlement of the Visigoths in Gaul, traces the growth and culmination of their kingdom of Toulouse, and ends with their expulsion from Aquitaine by Clovis. Professor Pfister gives the early history of the Franks, but they are still a feeble folk when he leaves them, for the conquests of Clovis belong to another volume. Then Dr. Schmidt tells the little that is known of the Sueves and Alans in Spain and more fully describes the history and institutions of the Vandal kingdom in Africa to its destruction by Belisarius. Our next chapter differs from the rest in containing very little history. It is Dr. Piesker's account of Central Asia and the Altasian mounted nomads. It is given as a general and much-needed introduction to the chapters on the Huns, the Avars, the Turks, and the rest of the Asiatic hordes who devastated Europe in the Middle Ages. To this is attached Dr. Schmidt's short account of the Huns and Attila. We next turn to our own country. Professor Haverfield describes the conquest and organization of Roman Britain and the decline and fall of the Roman power in the island while Mr. Beck deals with the English in their continental home, and tells the story of their settlement in Britain from the English side. After this, Mr. Barker records the last struggles of the Western Empire, the loyalty of Gaul, and the disaffection of Africa, under Aetius and Majorian, concluding with the barbarian mutiny at Pavia which overthrew the last Augustus of the West. Then M. Morris' Dumoulin continues the history of italy under the barbarian rule of odovacar and theodoric describing the great king's policy and showing how he kept in check for a while the feud of roman and barbarian which had wrecked the western empire turning now to the eastern provinces the fifth century which falls to mr brooks is upon the whole a prosaic period of second-rate rulers and dire financial strain yet even here we have striking events remarkable characters and important movements the fall of rufinus and the failure of gainus Pulchiera ruling the empire as a girl of sixteen the romance of athenais and the catastrophe of Basiliscus, the isorian policy of leo and the reforms of anastasius then miss gardner traces the history of religious disunion in the east the fall of Chrysostom brought to the front the rivalry of Constantinople and Alexandria. The defeat of Nestorianism at Aphis and of Monophyticism at Chalcedon fixed the lines of Orthodoxy, but left Egypt and Syria heterodox and disaffected. And the reconciling Henoticon of Zeno produced nothing but a new schism. In the next chapter, dom butler traces the growth of monasticism and its various forms in east and west including the benedictine rule and the irish monks after this professor vinogradoff surveys the whole field of social and economic conditions in the declining empire and shows the part which rotten economics and bad taxation played in its destruction then mr h f stewart gives his account of the heathen and christian literature of the time and of the various lines of thought which seem to converge upon the grand figure of augustine the volume concludes with mr letheby's account of the beginnings and early development of christian art shortly to the student of universal history the roman empire is the bulwark which for near six hundred years kept back the ever-threatening attacks of teutonic and altahian barbarism behind that bulwark rose the mighty structure of roman law and behind it a new order of the world was beginning to unfold from the fruitful seeds of Christian thought. So when the years of respite ended, and the universal empire went down in universal ruin, the Christian church was able from the first to put some check on the northern conquerors, and then by the long training of the Middle Ages, to mold the nations of Europe into forms which have issued in richer and fuller developments of life and civilization— than Imperial Rome had ever known. It remains for us to give our best thanks to Dr. A. W. Ward for much counsel and assistance, and to all those who have kindly helped us by looking over the proofs of particular chapters. September 1911 End of General Preface and Preface to Volume 1